This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, today we discuss how taking time to understand the uniqueness in your child and spouse fosters intimacy. Also, our kids ride our new mattress down the stairs. Podcast, podcast, podcast. <laughs> podcast. Hey, Rach. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Happy Valentine's Day to you this week. Oh, man. We are recording on Valentine's Day. Jeez Louise. What? Tell everybody the big haul you got from me this year. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might paint you in a bad light. You, you looked it at was... me like, wait, did I get something? <laughs> no, I was like, did I miss, uh, did I miss a teddy bear or yeah. what? Um, it's a pandemic Valentine's Day, so <laughs> love ya. We'll have dinner tonight and yeah. celebrate with some sparkling cider with the kids. Sparkling cider. Pray to God that they don't break any pieces of china or uh, crystal. I mean, it's a foregone conclusion. <laughs> it it's is. just which piece. This is a note about our family. We have three boys, and um, we, at the beginning of three boys, we had 80 wine glasses that we bought for a party. And now we have none because I we had one. We don't have. Oh one. no, we have one. It's hanging up. It is the single wine glass that is left from the beginning of parenthood. Yeah. If that doesn't say something, I don't know what does. So, can you tell the dear listeners how those <laughs> glasses broke? One and, at a time. No, I understand, but like many different forms of footballs <laughs> flying through. Yep, footballs flying through, like. Just like you would think it's natural to just pick up a wine glass and drink from it. So our kids would like sometimes feel fancy and they'd put milk in the wine glass. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, they didn't know how to hold it or like something happened. I don't know what happens. Well, if you're used to slamming a plastic cup down or like just not having to worry (laughs) about it and then just... It's a cheap IKEA wine glass, and you put it down, and, and there it with goes. force, and then <laughs> the bottom breaks, and milk's everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I just feel we like broke it a is few in the dishwasher too, which is not entirely their fault, but yeah. But it, some, I don't think those part. were. <laughs> I, don't, I think those were minimal. The amount of wine glasses that have been broken is kind of phenomenal. So here's another story. One day, <laughs> and another thing. If you want to talk about broken things, we have a lot of stories. <laughs> exactly. One day, I went out and bought new glasses, like water glasses, and um, I came home with 20 of them uh, because we had broken a lot of the water glasses. So I come home with 20, and I like did finger-waving at all the children and said, if you break these, I will be so frustrated. This is These are good glasses. Now, don't break them. So Saturday morning, I wake up. I had not had coffee. I was taking them all out of the dishwasher. And as I'm taking them out, they started to topple like from the top cabinet and they just like came down on top of me. So after I had done my finger waving, you better not break these glasses. Mm. I broke four of them <laughs> all at once. Before not we used even, them. Not even 12 hours after I purchased them. Yeah. Good work, mom. <laughs> Good work, mom. <laughs> they laughed. Uh, yeah, they felt some sense of vengeance or <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like justice exactly <laughs> who's waving their finger now <laughs> yeah they still hold it over my head it's fine 
Um, yeah. That's what happens when I don't have coffee early enough in the morning. That I is just what break it stuff is. and like I sort of like wobble around and don't really know like which end is up, you know? <laughs> so, Rach, speaking of recent purchases, I was going to say, but we didn't purchase it. We got a hand-me-down uh, bed mattress. mattress. Yeah. Yeah, and I drove two and a half hours to get it. Uh, which was fun. Me and the boys took a boys' trip. Boys' trip. <laughs> right. It was a mattress that had never been slept in. It was yeah. in the family. Blah blah blah. Anyway, we yeah came we home with brought this it mattress. home. I brought it upstairs. It comes with a bed frame. We're putting some bunk beds together. There's like a bunch of work, and I just didn't feel like doing it yesterday, so <laughs> I left it in the hallway. And on a scale of like one to ten, how big of a mistake was that? Huge. Ten. 42. Eleven. Twelve. Maybe thirteen. <laughs> it was like Pretty Woman. Huge. <laughs> Huge mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Because. All of a sudden, we realized there's a mattress coming down the stairs with children on it. Granted, they had helmets on, (laughs) which is really smart. But they're still going down the stairs full speed with a gentle push from the oldest brother on a mattress. Yeah. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, that was their entertainment for the evening. (laughs) (laughs) And we didn't go to the hospital. Big win. (laughs) I feel really good about that. There was an incident this morning. They woke up and were doing it as well. And I think all three of them got onto the mattress and maybe the front end maybe like toppled over or something. One kid fell off, but that's the only incident we've really had. Yeah, he got so mad at the other (laughs) two as if they somehow were in charge of gravity. (laughs) It was great. Oh, my gosh. No wonder wine glasses are getting broken because we have mattresses flying downstairs. (laughs) It all makes sense now. I think things are coming Uh, together. (laughs) Pets' heads are falling off. Mattresses coming down the stairs. Uh, Rach, it's been a a crazy week. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this topic today. Yeah, me too. Suspense is building. Building. Uh, Except for the title's actually (laughs) (laughs) on the button they just clicked to listen to this. (laughs) So I want to talk about identity. Um, I was inspired by this because I was reading a story um, or like a book talking about how people's identity in marriage can uh, lead to conflict and that when they unpack that, it can actually be helpful to resolve the conflicts and really understand where each other's coming from. And as I've been thinking about this and you and I have been talking about it, um, I think that there's identity, that we, you and I, have identity in our marriage uh, or as individuals that impacts our marriage, Um, but then also that our kids each have a sense of identity. And um, I think for all of us throughout our lives, those things change or evolve, Um, but that there's some consistent themes there and that being able to see those things lovingly in you is helpful for our marriage and vice versa. Like seeing the things that I am identifying Yeah, things that myself. are important to you that builds on your identity um, and that you know, mean something to you. Because they're often, I think the, the main point is like most fights, most conflict, most stress um, has a lot of other things underneath it. It's not about the traffic. It's about uh, if I'm late, my boss is going to be mad. And if my boss is mad, what does that mean about if I'm a good worker, right? Uh, yeah, and yeah. So the identity is like, I want to do a good job. I need this job, w- whatever it is. But the issue is I'm yelling at the big truck in front of me because <laughs> they're going too slowly in traffic. Right. That's um, exactly right. Yeah, give me an example of something that you might, identify as that I have sort of attacked unintentionally? Oh, so um, I had another example, but the way you posed that question reminds me of something recently that we mentioned on the podcast, which was a fight that we had about curtains. Do you remember this? No. 
hanging oh. the curtains. So <laughs> I went to put the kids down. I thought we had agreed. Oh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. This is recent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so yeah. Just, just quick back, background. Like, I thought we had agreed we were trying to get everything done so we could go sit down because we were both exhausted and just have some time together. And by time together, I mean we were watching Netflix. Um, <laughs> really connecting our hearts. But no, like, and so I came out of one child's room and I was done with my quote-unquote job. And I found you doing hanging up curtains, <laughs> and I was so mad because it because because I felt like well if you're still working I still have to work even though I'm exhausted right. The identity issues that we were able to unpack eventually in that is um, one you don't like being blamed especially falsely accused of things yeah yeah and so when I came out and was mad at you th- it triggers that identity right away of like oh I'm gonna get blamed for this it's my fault and I don't think it should be I'm doing a good thing fixing yeah. You said something in that discussion that was essentially like, if you don't want me to do this, you should do this, which is actually a normal thing to say. But what it attacked in me was this identity around, like, I'm not good at household chores or not household chores, uh, like handyman chores. Do you know what a hammer is? (laughs) I think you said that last time on the podcast. (laughs) And you still don't know. The answer is still no. (laughs) Um, No, here's what a hammer is. It's a 90s rapper that like goes, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) Dad joke. (laughs) Boom. Killing it. Oh, my gosh. So I think that's a good example of how we attacked each other's identities unintentionally. Like, you weren't like, oh, what's the meanest thing I can say right now? But right. you were, you felt defensive and attacked, and so you said something that attacked my identity. I also wasn't looking to pick a fight, but I was just out of frustration. I said something that essentially attacked your identity. As um, So I think that's an example. Yeah, that's think, a good example. Thanks, Rach. You're welcome. <laughs> noticing stick Um, I think another one that's like relatively benign but is helpful to unpack for people because they probably have these uh, happen all the time in their marriage is around Christmas Eve Um, so pre-COVID most years we would do like a small Christmas Eve dinner um, with whatever it was like six or eight friends whoever kind of was around and didn't have family um, would come over and often I would grill uh, food and my identity in that is like, I really, one, selfishly, I really want to impress people and people would be like, oh man, you really know your way around a green egg. Which is, <laughs> I know. As I say, I'm like, that's the dumbest that thing is, in the world. I think it's great. But I just walk around the green egg hoping people are like, wow, you really know your way around. I have no comment. <laughs> so that's part of the identity. But the other piece is like one year I made three different types of meat. Like I made a whole steak. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, it was also awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I made like kind of a fancy pork and then I made shrimp. And part of that is when when I'm in charge of a meal, especially like kind of more of a fancy meal, I really want people to have what they want. And so I can't decide. And I'm like, well, maybe they want steak. or maybe, It's like it's, they're going yeah. to a wedding or something and they didn't fill out the form. Right. And so I made all these things. So that was like my identity is around like I want people to come have a great time, be impressed by the food, and really enjoy it and feel like, well, I like shrimp, but my husband likes steak, and we both got what we wanted. Yeah. Um, This creates stress in me, though, and I don't mind the stress too much, but I think it puts upon you, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong and shut me up, but like... Don't worry, I will. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't worry. I shouldn't have been. (laughs) Um, I think that you put a lot of stress on yourself around Christmas Day and our kids' experience, and you really want them to feel, like, honored and seen in their gifts. You really want them to, like, have these memorable moments, which is a pretty normal thing to want. Yep. 
And so to you, Christmas Eve is fun, but you don't want any additional stress. Like you don't want to have to care about what these six or eight friends think. And so by me doing that, it's like our identities are clashing a little bit. We both are supportive, but it's like my stress makes me less attentive to Christmas Day and puts stress on you that you don't want. Your stress on Christmas Day actually sort of makes me feel like stressful about something that I'm not, don't want to be stressful about. Yeah. And we have to be able to unpack those things together to be supportive and be like, hey, David, step back. Maybe just two meats will be enough. People will be impressed. <laughs> yeah. People actually want to hang out with you and they're not just coming for the food. And that's actually reassuring to me. And vice versa, me being like, hey, you thought through all these things. You got really good gifts. You know, the boys might be disappointed because we're all human, but it's not because you didn't care or think about them. Yeah. And I think that the problem arises when. My, I make assumptions about you that your identity should be the same as mine Ooh. and vice versa. Yeah, that's good. And so, like, the conflict isn't about Christmas Eve. It's not about Christmas Day. It's not about how many, uh, like, what curtains are hung or not hung. The issue is that I want you to be like me and I want you to be an extension of me and just get me without doing the work. And the work of this is the ability to not be passive. I think that's another avenue that we haven't even talked about is like there is a level of passivity to allow the other person's identity to take over the marriage. Um, And that's really problematic. And then the other side of that is when both identities are so big that they clash against each other. So you want to land in the middle where you're able to have conversations about this. Um, And we're not talking about core identity yeah. I don't know. Do you want to define that? Well, I think core identity can be something you sort of give to your family. Like belonging in our family, being a Smith is sort of a core identity that we want our kids to identify with. There's a lot of freedom for them to be really interested in sports or science or math or comic books or whatever in that and like find their identity there. Um, or I think if you're religious, like that's a core identity, like our core identity that we need to have you and I in our marriage and that we're trying to impart into our kids is that like they're children of God, we're children of God. And that defines everything we do. Right. And that's what their roots actually go deep down into. And that's what really stabilizes them. But there are these other things that are part of us that do help us identify ourselves. And that's what we're talking about today. Yeah. Like you're a daughter of God that cares about and sees the world very differently than I do, even though I'm also a son of God. And so it's that, yes, upper level that we want to say, like, well, what do we do with that? And um, I was actually going to make a comment on something you said a minute ago, which is I think actually the most common scenario is not either of those extremes, um, but is where neither person is fully aware of what their identity is Ah. and what is driving them. How insightful. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're so self-congratulatory today. Well, I'm congratulating you, not me. I know, it's not but it's self-congratulatory. <laughs> well, ah, kind of. Um, yeah, like I think we go through our lives. And we care about things and we're aware of what we care about, but we're not totally sure why. And it takes actually some real work to unpack like you know, like I could have told you I really care that the food's good, but it took work and like conversations with you and unpacking like why do I care so much that the food's good? There's a bunch of stuff underneath that. Yes. And I think that's part of the the point here is that to be intimate in a marriage, um, you have to do a lot of self-work alongside the work of knowing your partner and you have to help your partner 
do that self-work and explore themselves and then be really interested in each other. And in the same way, like, we're talking about kids having identities. They absolutely do. Like, I remember our kids when they were, like, as young as two or three years old and they, like, really cared about something and it was really important to them, whether it was basketball or planes and big trucks or, you know, like, animals. Like, there's an identity there, but they have no clue. They have no words around that. And I don't think we need to, like, put them in deep counseling to do that when they're three. Right. But it's us recognizing, like, oh, this ant, you know, you really love animals. And so if you see an animal struggling or a dead bird, like, you're going to have a reaction that's big and maybe to me feels, like, too big. But it's not too big. It's appropriate for you. Right, exactly. I think that one thing that we're, we're missing that I want to let listeners in on is sort of the how-to. Too. Like, I think we're talking about like, yeah, engage with your spouse about this or do the work on your own or engage with your kids. But like, I think this is really hard, but I would, I would say one of the most simplistic questions that you can be asking, um, about those surface level things are what does that give you? And keep asking that until it kind of bottoms out to what the real thing is. I think that's one of the most simple ways that you can start uncovering some of that stuff. So a good example of that is like, I like my house clean. Mm-hmm. So when, Tell me about it. <laughs> so when things are a mess, I feel tense. I feel irritated. I feel short and snappy with our kids and with you. Um, I'm blaming everybody. And so a good question for me in that is, what does it give you? when your house is clean. Mm-hmm. And I would say, it makes me feel peaceful. Mm-hmm. And then you say, oh, what does being peaceful give you? And I would say, it helps me feel in control. What does in control make you feel? Right. So we bottom it out, like, all the way to the bottom. And I would say that the deep desire in that is that I like a clean house because it lets me feel my natural desire for order in the world. Right. Um, so it comes out as control. It can look that way. But it is actually a good desire to want order yeah. and structure. And so for you to see that in me is is helpful. So so it's not about whether or not you left a dish out. Right. Because that doesn't get us anywhere. Right. And I think it sounds cheesy, what you just described. Absolutely. But it's if you can both sort of be like, hey, this is going to be silly, but let's go through this exercise together and try to be honest, it is actually a really effective tool to start being like, okay, well, I like order or I like peacefulness what is that you know and really think about what's underneath that and it's a a way to really build some intimacy between two people to go through that together yeah and then the other thing I would say about that is it's not then to be used as a weapon so like when you get mad at me to be like oh you just need peace and order like (laughs) snotty but but actually to step back and be like okay hey I think what's going on here is you're mad that I didn't do x y or z because it leaves the house feel messy. Is that right or something else going on? Yeah, and then it opens the other person up and gives an opportunity to say, that wasn't my intention. I'm really sorry. I can see how that made you feel that way. And I think the same thing for our kids. Like, I think it's less, um, there's less conversation because they're not as reasonable sometimes. But if, like, if we know our kids and we can sort of go through that process on their behalf. So one of our kids really wants to be, and I think believes he may be a superhero. Um, And so when I look at that, sometimes we have to like deal with the costume. We have to deal with these big stories and it's super cute and fun. But at times I'm like, okay, let's let this ruse go. You are not a superhero. Mm -hmm. You know, I sort of want to 
um, minimize it. The truth is that when I start asking questions about like, okay, what does it give him to be a superhero? It makes him feel powerful. Mm-hmm. What does it give him to feel powerful? And then I, I can go down to say, this kid loves being a hero. And wants to protect. And wants to protect. Mm-hmm. And those are great things about him. It helps me to engage with things that might feel silly. And it helps me know my kid a little bit better. Yeah. No, absolutely agree. Um, yeah, I have nothing to add to that point. That was per- perfectly said. Well, thanks. You're amazing. <laughs> Self-congratulatory. <laughs> Seriously, we just stop. <laughs> As you, you put the hands up, oh, please, please don't stop. Please, yeah, keep coming. <laughs> so I think one other practical piece of this, whether it's in marriage or parenting, is when we're trying to unpack someone else's identity and help them do that genuinely, we have to be able to step away from our own identity and hmm. like how we feel in the moment. Uh, in uh, I've heard this described as like going up to the balcony. It's like, so if you're on, if our lives are a stage, as Shakespeare said, it's like being able to go into the audience and look at both of us as separate people and not as I'm involved in this. And it gives us some distance to how we're feeling. And so I think often with our kids, again, they'll have these big emotions or these big responses that are tied to not just the incident of someone not sharing a toy or whatever, but actually tied to like their identity around friendship and relationships. And their sadness or anger or just um, sometimes feeling like their emotions are too big will attack my identity. And so I'm not in a good place to actually help them if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Because I either am like, I got to get rid of these emotions. I got to fix them as quickly as possible. That's not helpful. Or, you know, in my identity, it's like, I want my kid to be tough and not, you know, be upset about things. Well, that's about me and not about them. Mm -hmm. And so being able to separate that, and that happens way more, I think, in marriage too, where I'm just like, you know, my identity is so intertwined in what's going on. (laughs) Like, like the dish thing, like my identity around being really helpful and thoughtful and thinking about what you need before you say it is so strong that when you get mad about something I didn't do, I'm like, like, I'm really You get really angry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And so it's helpful if we can take a balcony view on our marriage, but also with our kids and be able to say in the moment that they're super upset that their fish died, say, oh, this was important to them and pause and give room for them to feel that. It doesn't dismiss the fact that you can like let them know, sort of give give them a gentle reality about the lifespan of a fish, perhaps, right. especially right. a lifespan of a fish in our house. It's not <laughs> super long. <laughs> We're keeping kids alive, it's but slightly fish, below average. It is, but but letting them um, letting them feel it, and then um, recognizing that there's something in them that is identifying as a caregiver in that in that particular situation, and being able to let them sit in it, but also saying, "Hey, you may not know this, but." Here's what might be going on sort of outside of your right. reality. Well, so it's validating like, hey, you were a really good pet owner. Like you loved that fish really well. You fed her every day or every time you're supposed to. You did everything that was right. And sometimes things pass away because they just get old. Yeah. Or sometimes things don't go our way. And so it's validating their identity in that moment and also giving them some hope and some sense of, yeah, like you said, reality. Yeah, and I think identity changes. So we've noticed we have kids who are growing, obviously. Um, And so, like, our little son might identify as Spider-Man, and that's going to take on a different shape when he's 
15 or 13. Although technically Spider-Man is 15 or 16 years old. <laughs> yes. And I mean, the jury's out. We might still, we might actually have Spider-Man for a really long time. But yeah. So I think that's a good segue into the last point, which is this gets more complex and maybe more threatening with teenagers. Yeah. Tell um, me about that. So teenagers are kids <laughs> who get to 13, 14. No. <laughs> I just think, so I think our kids' identity, <coughs> excuse me, as they uh, um, get older, gets more and more tied to things that are outside of our home, right? Like they're social beings, and so now they become much more aware of their friend groups yeah, and what their friends think and what is cool and what's not and how to manage that and regulate that. And so, again, as adults who've gone through high school and gotten to the other side, we can be quick to belittle that, and I think that is not good or helpful. Um, or we, as people who raised them and wiped their butts and, did, you know, they used to think we hung the moon, we can be really hurt and feel, like, wronged by their lack of care about us and mm-hmm. more care about other people. And I think that's also problematic. I also think that another I, – I don't know if you've already said this, but they may be or be involved in something that you think is ridiculous. Like <laughs> – like, it might be over-emotional, it might be too dramatic, it might be, like, obviously, if it's harmful, you move into that, but it might be yeah. something that you're like, oh, my gosh, this is not a big deal. Or, yeah, like, we've joked about Pokemon, I don't get Pokemon, but they love it, or, right. or they have loved it, or or in, they might get into high school, and they might be really into sports, and you were not, or they might be really into drama, or whatever. Right, so there might be some sort of a clash, um, and so engaging with them in that is helpful and recognizing that identity is going to change that surface level identity might change through a lifetime I would say that my identity is pretty solidified but I do think that there are things I value now that I did not value five years ago wine glasses and that's good yeah clearly I was forced into that identity but that's good that's the evolution of humanity I think we live in a culture that says no you decide who you are and then you announce it and you are one dimensional and this is where you stay. But we don't want that for our kids. We want them to feel everything that they're feeling in that season. And then if they move out of it, it's not a moment of mockery or disdain that we're like, oh, you don't even know who you are. It just turns into a new season. And that's going to happen over a lifetime if you have a maturing adult. Yeah. And we don't want to belittle that change in those seasons. Like that's natural and good. Exactly. Exactly. So as we close, just encouraging people to embrace uh, the activities of self-exploration, of the asking, you know, what does that give me to embrace and engage with your spouse or partner in the same way and really help them understand and you learn more about them and then doing that with real care and intentionality with our kids as well. Yeah, I think what this produces is intimacy in families and marriages and relationships with kids. I think, I think that's a good goal. We never want to sort of fix our kids or like try to steer them or tell them what they should or shouldn't be. I mean, no, we want to, but we shouldn't. What we want them to really know is that we're with them and that we have a relationship that can change and grow and we're on their team. However, they're identifying at that moment and we will be a solid ground for them to stem from. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. There we go. I think it's a good finish. All right. Are we doing a stat of the week? As always. Sweet. (laughs) 
RRH. Hey, <laughs> Dave. What are you doing? <laughs> I feel like you just went through a costume change during the break. I know. We're in a scarf now. I thought I had an appointment, and then I realized it's an hour later than I thought <laughs> it was. Well, welcome back. That is our life. <laughs> All right, I got a stat of the week from you for you. All right. Um, it comes from a paper that was published in the Journal of Family Psychology. Um, by a handful of professors. There's like four of them, so I'm not going to go through them all. And it's titled, quote, if you want me to treat you like an adult, start acting like one. <laughs> Compar- Don't you feel like saying that to our kids? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually want to be like, if you want me to start treating you like a human, start acting <laughs> like one. Less dog, more <laughs> Use human. Use a fork. <laughs> so it's about comparing the criteria that emerging adults and their parents have for adulthood. So the background on this is they surveyed uh, almost 400 students between the ages of 18 and 25, and then they surveyed at least one of their parents. So they ended up with like 270 dads and uh, like 320 moms. So almost 1,000 people total are surveyed in this. Okay. This was done in 2007, so all the students were between 18 and 25, which means they would now be between 32 and 39. Okay. Um, So probably uh, around the age of many of our listeners. Um, and when they did this, the median age of the students was 20, the median age of the dads was 51, and the median age of the moms was 49. Just some background information. Yeah. But anyway. So, and they do it across like five university campuses, um, and, and uh, they get a sampling of people. It is worth noting, it's not highly um, diverse uh, and representative for a number of reasons. One, because it's all universities, it tends to be... Um, Oh, more white than it would be the average population, even at a university. And it's like 62% female, so 38% male. Anyway, that's just some background on it. Yeah, helpful. But primarily they were asking things about whether or not these people um, considered themselves adults and whether or not their parents considered them adults. Oh, my gosh. And they asked questions around, like, uh, Identify or independence and self-reliance, um, ability to form relationships, uh, ability to comply with uh, social norms, and uh, ability to provide for and care for a family. So those are kind of the categories of the questions. But the first question they ask is essentially, would you identify yourself as an adult? And it's three answers. It's yes, no, or mixed. Okay. Um, and then they ask both fathers and mothers the same questions, like, would you consider your child, your student child, uh, an adult? And the same three answers. So what percentage of, let's start with the, the young the students, the young, the youths, as they like to say. <laughs> yeah. What percentage of the youths do you think said, yes, I consider myself an adult? Mixed. <laughs> the answer is the percentage, <laughs> which I told you during okay. the break. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, which... <laughs> Mixed was the most common, yes. I am, uh, I'm clearly batting a 1,000 today. Um, okay, so what percentage of those young folks yeah, considered they, they refer to them as an emerging adult. adults. What percentage okay. of them said, yes, I, I consider myself an adult? I'm kind of guessing it's low uh, uh-huh. just because of our uh, cultural norms. So uh-huh. I'm going to say like 20%. Pretty close, 16%. Really? So 16% said yes, 13% said no. And what age range was that? 18 to 25. Okay. Um, 72% were mixed, which okay. I think is why you yelled mixed at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Mixed was the most common among all of them. So dads were a little bit more likely. They 19% of them said yes, 16% said no, 65 mixed. Moms were 16% yes, which is the same as the emerging adults, 16% no, which is the same as the dads, and then 68% mixed. Interesting. 
Yeah. And so they asked them, like, within those categories, like, what were the, the biggest de- describers or determinants of if you are an adult or not? And both parents and kids, or the emerging adults, excuse me, uh, their number one was accepting responsibility for the consequences of your actions. Makes sense. Uh-huh. Number two and number three struck me as like base needs here. One was avoid drunk driving, and the other one was avoid committing petty crimes. Oh, Lord. I feel like that just means you're a well-adjusted human. We are. We've got <laughs> some low standards. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then number four for kids, or the students, excuse me again, was financially independent from parents. And number four uh, for the parents was actually becoming self less self-oriented and developing greater consideration for others. So the students were thinking through, like, am I financially uh, independent? Whereas adults the, are looking at their kids being like, oh, can they actually have adult relationships? Are they thinking outside themselves <laughs> exactly. at all? <laughs> yeah. And there, um, real quickly, there were some other interesting uh, differences by gender. So, like, fathers with their sons were much more concerned about their socialization and ability to have relationships, I think, because they assume male sons are worse at that. Um, but moms were much more concerned in general around like family capacities and relational maturity than dads were on average. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's interesting because I think one thing that this indicates, and it's probably outside this study, but it yeah. it indicates that age would tell us that the most valuable thing is to think outside of yourself and build relationships. Because when you're young, I think that like I think that there is this mentality like, okay, once I'm financially secure, once I'm making money, yeah. I've made it. I'm an adult, I'm functional. But what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that's not the highest priority of people who are parents. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a pretty high priority for me. But <laughs> to be financially secure, <laughs> for, for them or... to be financially secure. <laughs> but no, I agree that like being an adult is not just a function of can you hold a job. That's important, but that you can actually have adult relationships where you can give of yourself, be you know generous serve others like that is really really important and yeah. probably it's not that it's you could you really can't have one or the other but like if you a lot of people might think oh if I'm just financially secure and that no one likes me <laughs> that's fine <laughs> yeah but I, I think what you're saying is that no adults really realize like we're in this world together and you also have to have those skills as well yeah exactly all right Rach all that's right. what I got for you. That's interesting. Good stat of the week. Thank yeah. you. The link will be in the show notes if anyone wants to check her out. Show notes. Be sure to review us if you laughed a little bit, if you cried. I don't know. <laughs> if you learned <laughs> if you something. Cried, maybe don't review us. <laughs> if you love wine glasses as much as we don't. <laughs> Apparently. We yeah, we would them. love for you to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. It means a lot to us. So thank you so much for that. And as always, you can follow us on the social medias, um, which are in our show notes. Yep. Take a look. Click on those bad boys. Thank you, as always, for listening. We really appreciate you um, hanging with us. Hey, Rich. Thank you for working on the farm. Thank you for working on the farm. Check ya. (laughs) Oh, that was not very good. Come on. Give (laughs) me the the sing song. Check Um, ya. (laughs) No, do the whole thing. Hey, Rich. Thank you for working on the farm. You didn't do it right. You have to say thanks for working on the farm. Hey, Rich. (laughs) Thanks for working on the farm. Try it again. One more time. Thanks for working on the farm. Hey, thank you for working on the farm. Check ya. Perfect. (laughs) 